Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. Continuing, and we're starting to wrap up actually, our study on a book written by our very own, it's based upon, I've got to say that, it's based upon a book written by a very own apostle, Frederick Casey Price, and the title of that book is The Mind, The Arena of Faith, and we've been having quite a lot of fun actually with it, but um, we're going to continue doing that tonight, and you guys are going to answer me, and I'm all excited. Well, the last time we were here, we left off on the fact that we already know that the devil's lies are offered through thoughts, ideas, and suggestions, and they're going to (laughs) come without any sense of danger at all sometimes, and they contain just enough truth for the average Christian, and one who doesn't know the word will really be drawn into the lie very easily. The key is you really have to know the word, and and also you have to have a discerning spirit, which we've talked about before. Um, And this is something that's been happening for years and years and years. It's, It's not like it's something new, because again, like we said before, and we have to remember, the enemy was here thousands of years ago. So it's not like he's new at his job. He is very seasoned and he knows very well what it is that he's doing and he is an expert at it. And it can lead you into some deadly consequences if you really aren't paying a lot of attention. So if we look for evidence, which we've been trying to do when it comes to the wiles of the devil, the evil day, and the fiery darts, Um, we have found in doing it that they are simply no more than what? Thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. And even Jesus had to deal with them. And the thing that I like us to remember, and, and it's important to remember that, because I don't think anybody here thinks they're better than our Lord, do they? So if he had to deal with them, why in the world do you think that you're not going to have to? So if you don't think that, you know, if you think you're going to get away with it, you're really being, you're fooling yourself, you're delusional. So you cannot think that because Jesus himself had to. And we talked about last time the fact that this is something we have to really guard our thought life. And it does take some effort. It's not any free lunch for any of us because it's not a part-time or summer job. (laughs) It's a full-time, 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year job. It does not end. And it's all the time. And the reason why, like we you know, stressed last time, is because our minds are always open. And they're always open to all kinds of stimulus all around you everywhere. And it seems like the more that technology evolves, it's even more. I mean, you get it on your phones, you get it, I mean, because everybody nowadays has a phone, you almost have to, because there are no pay phones as we used to know them. You know, you can't go put a dime in the phones, everybody has a pay phone. So you're getting messages on your phone. We used to just have telemarketers calling on your landline, now you have them calling on you know your cell phone you're getting them through even if you're standing waiting for a bus you see all, especially in the city in which we're in, you see constant information that's all around you all the time. So in the TV, that's a whole other thing. So all I'm saying is the radio, the t- I mean, you could go on and on and on. So the point being is we have to be on guard. We really do. And here's the other thing that's very interesting, and we touched on this a little bit last week, is that the Spirit of God also gives you what? Thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. And we want him to do that. Thank God he does that, okay? But how are you supposed to know what the difference is? 
One way to be able to know is you've got to know the word and recognize it. Recognize the difference. If you're ignorant of the word, you've got a real challenge because you then don't have a barometer, so to speak. You don't have a compass to know, okay, is this lining up with the word? Is it not lining up with the word? You only know if you spend some time with the word. Now, the book of Revelation offers a very interesting passage, and I want you to turn there now. We've touched on it before, but I want you to go back to this. This is Revelation, the 12th chapter, and we're going to look at verse 9. Revelation 12, 9. And you're going to tell me you got there how? By saying? Oh, I'm so, look at you. You already, see? You talk back. I appreciate that. (laughs) Okay? Um, In this particular passage, it further shows us how the operation of our enemy is in fact thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. We're told that Satan is the one who deceives the whole world. I'm going to share it with you out of the New International Version. And it says, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So that's also letting us know that Satan has some little people to help him, his angels. All of the angels aren't the cute little people that we see, you know, on Valentine's Day with the little, you know, they have the wings and the hearts and they're just, no, no, no. Yes, God has, we have angels that have been assigned to do things for us, but you have to also understand that there are demonic angels that are at Satan's beck and call. They are real too, and they really do exist, and this passage just confirmed that. If we look at this passage in the Amplified, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the age-old serpent who is called the devil and Satan, he who continually deceives and seduces the entire inhabited world. I like how the Amplified says that. Because who is left out of the entire inhabited world? Exactly. So it's not based upon denominations. It's not based upon nationalities, ethnicities, anything. The whole, if you're on planet Earth, if you are in this world as we know it, okay, and it's inhabited, then guess what? That's what Satan's job is. That's what he does. He continually deceives and seduces the entire inhabited world. He was thrown down to the Earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. He deceives the whole world. But what exactly is deception? Because it's a nice word, but what does it actually mean? What does, when, it, when someone deceives you, what are they basically doing to you? Oh, good, exactly. They're telling you a lie. What is the purpose of a lie? To mislead you, exactly. To trick you, you think? Okay. So a deceiver and a liar are, in fact, the same thing. Wouldn't you say that? So who deceives the whole world really is a statement of summary. In other words, it's telling us the whole kick and caboodle of what Satan is about and what he does. It summarizes all of his activities on the earth. His mission is to deceive us. And we, I said to you last time, I gave you a quote by Maya Angelou that I really happen to like where it says, Whoever a per- when a person shows you who they are, believe them. And we have a tendency, I, I don't know why, and ladies especially, and I say ladies especially because there are a whole lot of single ladies who really want 
companionship. They want to, you know, possibly marry a man that's going to be their husband and love them and take care of them. We have a lot of women who don't necessarily always act like Ruth, but they're trying to work that way and they're looking for their Boaz. So they have a tendency sometimes to sit up and believe that some of these men that they're looking at or believing God for are in fact their Boaz or their prince and they're really just frogs dressed up, you know, sometimes in a suit and they're not that. So we have to just really, really be careful about that. Anyway, the word deceit, means to cause us to think on things that just plain and straight, they're not true, okay? So, you thought it was true, you found out it wasn't, that it really wasn't true. But the purpose of it was to make you think that it was true. In order to get you to think on things that are not true. Therein lies the entrapment. Because if a person can get you to believe what they're saying is so and you go along with that and you plan your life based upon the lie that they're telling you that's how they kind of think of a spider you know how a spider if, if you ever I don't know if they even have spiders I guess they have spiders in the city I don't know but if you see a spider every you know if you really look at some spider webs they're really intricate because they create this, this web of, I mean, some of them are actually pretty if you just, you know, look at them. But you can get caught up in that. I mean, you as a human being, it's a little spider who's created this big web. You may not see it. You could walk into it and there it is, smack on your face. The point is, that whole web of lies that the enemy can give to you can entrap you and can enshroud you and can make a mess out of your life. But the key is... That's not going to happen to us because that's why we're here and we constantly are studying the word of God so we're not so easily deceived, or at least that's what I'm believing. <laughs> um, we talked about how deceive if we looked in Strong's exhaust, exhaustive concordance. It actually means to roam from safety, truth, or virtue, go astray, deceive, err, seduce, wander, be out of the way. The devil was successful in his first foray on deception, lies, and trickery into the human race. He deceived Eve, and we spent a lot of time talking about Eve and Adam. Hmm. We're going to talk about Adam in a minute, too. Um, <clears throat> and he's been using the same tactics. Again, he doesn't have to change them because they work so well, so why should he? So turn with me to 1 Timothy, and we're going to look at chapter 2, verse 14. Because now we're going to get some time. We've been talking about Eve. I mean... Eve. We really have talked about her. But now we're going to talk a little bit about Adam. So 1 Timothy 2.14 If we read it out of You're there? Okay. If we read it out of the New King James Version it says, And Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. If we look at it in the Amplified, it says, And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman who was led astray and fell into sin. And lastly, the easy to read says, Also, Adam was not the one who was tricked. It was the woman who was tricked and became a sinner. Now, we could sit up and come up with words to describe Adam. So, I'm going to ask you, if you were to pick one word that you could think of that describes Adam to you, what would that word be? Stupid. 
stupid. Okay, that's a good one. <laughs> stupid, it's probably at the top of the list. Smart, you think Adam was smart. Okay, so he was stupid, he was smart. Gullible, okay. He was what? I still, I, you know, I'm still wrestling with that. Yeah, but you know what? He, he supposedly, he hadn't taken the bite yet. So if he hadn't taken the bite yet, his heart should have still been pure toward God. He shouldn't have been thinking what other parts of his body yet. Because he hadn't taken that bite of the fruit. So he should, still should have been this wonderful, stupid, but wonderful. <laughs> Meaning, I, I don't know that he was lured by Eve. He should have been at that point, I don't think. I don't know. It's an interesting concept. Okay. Careless. Careless? Okay. Anybody else? I'd say weak in faith. Very. Yes, weak in faith. Right, so if you were going to pick one word to describe him, what would you say about him? Well, he wanted to do his own thing, so he didn't believe God. So he was disobedient. Disobedient, okay. So, uh, we've got stupid, we've got smart, we've got disobedient. What else? Foolish? Foolish, for sure. Okay, so I think we get the picture. I personally cannot come up with a word to describe what I feel about Adam. <laughs> because here's the thing. No matter how we cut this, no matter how we look at it, no matter what we do, Adam knew what he was doing. So Eve, even though we have talked about her, she was clearly, according to the scripture, deceived, lied to, tricked. He was not. He knew what he was doing. And that was before eating the fruit. Before biting the fruit, he still knew because God gave him the command. Okay? So, we really can't say that Eve did anything just horrifically wrong because she was tricked and she was deceived. She didn't even do anything to her husband. She didn't do anything to Adam. So all the times when you hear people, and you will hear in certain pulpits, they'll get up and talk about, well, it's this woman. It was her fault. It's what she did. She didn't do anything to Adam. She really did not. Adam was the stupid, careless, you know, whatever person who did it. The prohibition was not given to Eve, it was given to Adam, and he knew. We always hear the reference to what happened in the Garden of Eden as the fall. Now this, I think, is very interesting. When you fall, is it usually intentional? I mean, does anybody, unless you're a stunt person and that's your profession, do you just decide to go outside and you're getting ready to go catch the train and you just decide, oh, I just want to fall? I mean, does anybody do that? No, you usually either trip over something you didn't see, you lose your balance, something happens that's not in the norm and you fall, correct? Adam knew what he was doing. So this, so when we sit up and say, it's another one of these things we just say without always thinking about it. We say the fall. It wasn't the fall. He actually went and sprung himself into this. It's like he jumped into it. So it's not a fall. I mean, you know, we can say that, but it's not. It, it was a stupid thing that he did. And 
he did it, and he did it deliberately. You know, it's sort of like they have people who sometimes, and this is where, you know, Minister Scott's the, the expert, I'm not, but just from me looking at just little crime shows on TV, <laughs> I know that there are different degrees of murder. Okay. Sometimes murder can happen accidentally, where it's not really meant to happen, but you know it happened. Sometimes, though, it's premeditated, where people sit up there and plot and scheme how they're going to take another person's life. And when they go into court, they usually have to pay a, a heavier penalty because they thought about the thing. It didn't just happen. They didn't just fall into murdering somebody. They knew what they were doing. Well, that's to me exactly what Adam's thing is. He knew exactly what he's doing. So let's take it a step further. Turn with me to Genesis, the second chapter. And we're going to look at verse 17. Genesis 2, and we're going to look at verse 17. And I'm going to share it with you out of the Amplified. Because this explains a lot. We're going to break it down because we're really going to get on Adam. That's how I feel about it. Anyway, so it says in verse 17, But only from the tree of knowledge, recognition, of good and evil, you shall not eat. Otherwise, on the day that you eat from it, you shall most certainly die because of your disobedience. Okay. Now, is that not clear? Now, does it sound like he has a shot at maybe getting away with it? Like, you know, maybe it's a 50-50 chance or a 60-40 chance or, you know, he could maybe gamble with it. Or does it say he's just going to die? It says that, right? Okay. That, again, proves why Adam was not the sharpest tool in the shed. Okay. Um, turn with me to John's Gospel, the 8th chapter. And we're going to look at... Verse 44. John's Gospel, the 8th chapter, verse 44. And this is really going to describe again exactly the characteristics of Satan, just like we talked about it a little bit in Revelation, which we'll turn back to. But anyway, if we look at John 8, 44, it says, and this is explaining, this is Jesus explaining exactly the characteristics of Satan. He says, you are, well, he's, okay, I should back it up and explain it. He's actually talking to some Pharisees at the time. And they are trying to say that, you know, they're up here, they're learned, they're special, they're great. And he, you know, they're like doubting him. And he's putting them right in place as he should. And this is what he says about them to them. You are of your father, the devil. And it is your will to practice the desires which are characteristic of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks what is natural to him. For he is a liar and the father of lies and half-truths. So that really lets us see again exactly the characteristics of Satan. Now go back to Revelation 12, 9, where you just came from a little bit ago. And it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the age-old serpent, who is called the devil and Satan. 
he who continually deceives and seduces the entire inhabited world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, there is an additional piece of evidence to support any conclusion that what the enemy uses against us are thoughts, ideas, and suggestions, and that can be found. You're already in Revelation. Turn to the 20th chapter. Revelation 20. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Now, Revelation 20 is really talking about a future event that all of us, you know, all Christians are really looking at because it's an event that's going to be absolutely glorious. It's, it's one that all God's people look forward to with great anticipation. But before we look at it, let me ask you two questions. And I'm really asking you this. I really want you to think about it. Number one, are you in this... Okay, you don't have to acknowledge your answer. Okay, so this isn't a time that you have to talk back. This is a time where I want you to personally be authentic with yourself. Okay, so let this be a question. If you want to write it down because you want to further meditate on it, you can. But I really want you to think about what I'm asking you. Okay, the first question is, are you winning or losing the warfare of the mind? That's a serious question. And that might be one that you have to meditate on and think about. Okay? Are you winning or losing the warfare of the mind? And the second one is are you a victor or a victim? That's another very interesting question. Because I'm sure you know a whole lot of people who can sit up and tell you all of their sob stories of why this and why that because they are constantly putting themselves in the position of being the victim. We see it all the time. You know, one of the things that gets to me, we know that our country, we're not going to talk about its state right now, but we know our country has gone through a lot of different things, okay? I even know myself as a business person how my business operated and functioned through from its inception until 2007. And then all of a sudden, a lot of things changed. And 2008 was a year like we probably, in my lifetime, for my business, I've never seen. And the world coined it recession. And we decided to come up with this, that we are not participating in the recession. But I bring it up for this reason. There are people to this very day who are still blaming or saying, well, this happened to me and that happened to me because of the recession. They are making this time period, and it's real, and, and I'm not making light of it. I mean, a lot of people went through a lot of challenging times because of what happened in our economy. But it comes to a point in time where you have to do what? Forget those things that are behind you and keep moving forward. Don't allow them to take up space in your mind because I look at it this way. Remember, our, well, most of you in here are, are older than, say, 25. So I think you remember. Yeah, I know. Might be, you know, you might just be 26, but just, you know, you might remember. Remember when they told us once upon, once upon a time that there was a sugar shortage? 
Does anybody remember that? And they made five-pound bags of sugar be like, you know, $50 or something like they were gold, okay? Stop and think about it. God created the entire world. Do you think when he did it that he didn't know to put enough sugar on the planet for us? I mean, I'm just saying. There was another time there was a gas shortage. I remember that in the 70s. Oh, I really remember that. You had to sit on line. You're blessed if you have public transportation. Out in the boonies where I live, you have to have a car. And you'd sit on line sometimes for two and a half hours just trying to get a couple of gallons because they were rationing it out. Really, again, do you really think that God did not know what we had need of. A lot of these things, we have to use discernment. We have to understand where they're coming from and what it's all about. And to me, yes, the economy went through what it went through. But when I'm giving my tithes and my offerings, I'm not giving it to the United States government. I am not giving it to the economy of this world. I am giving it to the economy of heaven. I'm giving it to my father. So if he says that all of my need is met according to his riches, not the U.S. government, but his riches, then I have to believe him. I choose to believe him. But again, if we don't think about it, we can be the victim and not the victor. And that's just a simple little, I mean, it can go on and on with a lot of different things. Yes, sir. Uh, like I said, I know 80% of Satan gained. I started the demonology. I wanted, I wanted, after I first started the demonology, I wanted to know 100% of the devil, not 80%. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, okay, well, that's a good thing. And you know what's even better? When you study the Word of God, because when you do that, you will then see that you have authority over all of the ability of the devil and all of his demons and all of his de- demonic forces. And that's something that's even more important and wonderful for us to study. But that's good that you discovered that. Praise God. That's a wonderful thing. Okay, so. I'm sorry, what did you say? Oh, yeah, they teach that? Yeah. Okay, well, I'm not. Knowledge is a powerful thing, so there's nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it at all. But it's just that, you know, if you have a choice, which do I want to spend time with? Because sometimes people don't go to, you know, they don't have the opportunity to go to Bible college or they may not have the opportunity to take that particular course. So it's a matter of if I have a chance to just sit down and really study the scripture or if I have a chance to take a course on, you know, demonology. I'm just saying that I think it's good to take a course on what the word says because that trumps anything that demonology has. That's all. Okay, I'm sure. I'm sure you can get all kinds of people to say a lot of different things. That's real. I mean, I'm sure that it is. I'm not, here's the thing. I'm not negating any of that. That's not my platform. I'm just saying that I'm going on what this says, the word, because that for me personally, now I can't say for everybody else, but for me personally, it's my final authority. It is the only thing that I live and breathe for, period. That's it. That's it. Okay, you can leave it to the end. Could you do that so that we can continue? 
Okay, thanks. I appreciate it. I appreciate no, just because I, the time is clicking away. We could talk about it at the end, okay? All right, good. Thanks. I appreciate that. Okay, so anyway, we're back at Revelation 20, right? You're already there. Okay, very good. Um, if we look at, I'm going to share it with you first out of the Amplified and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, starting with verse 1. And then I saw an angel descending from heaven, holding the key of the abyss, the bottomless pit. And a great chain was in his hand. And he overpowered and laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent of primeval times, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him securely for a thousand years, a millennium. And the angel hurled him into the abyss and closed it and sealed it above him, preventing his escape or rescue, so that he would no longer deceive and seduce the nations until the thousand years were at an end. After these things, he must be liberated for a short time. If we look at it in the Message Bible, it's real short. It says, I saw an angel descending out of heaven. He carried the key to the abyss and a chain, a huge chain. He grabbed the dragon, that old snake, the very devil, Satan himself, chained him up for a thousand years, dumped him into the abyss, slammed it shut, and sealed it tight. No more trouble out of him, deceiving the nations until the thousand years are up. After that, he has to be let loose briefly. Here's the thing. We already know that this is what Satan is going to do, even after he's locked up. Now, I want you to think about this. I, I would like to think all of us haven't had spent time in jail. I mean, you know, it's not necessarily something we all have done. Don't nod your head, nobody will know. <laughs> um, but just from, again, even if you look at what you've seen on TV, when people go to jail, it's not the same thing as checking into a five-star hotel. Would you agree with that? It's usually not a good place, exactly. Now, I do know that some people, you know, who are repeat offenders, I often would like to ask them the question, why are they repeat offenders? Because our system in this country of jail really is pretty nice in the sense that they get to take courses, they're in an environment that's climate controlled, they are getting square meals each day. For some people, that's better than they've ever received at home. So that could be why they want to go there. But the average person where that's not the case, they don't really necessarily want to go and stay in jail, you know, where you're told what to do all the time and, you know, they have to wear those horrid looking jumpsuits that are whatever color they are, orange or gray, depending, I guess, upon where you go. They have to go through that strip search thing and they have these guards who don't seem very pleasant, who seem to, you know, beat on the butt. It just doesn't seem like a nice place to go. So you would think the average sane person, even if they have to go there and spend, I don't know, a month or to me, if you had to spend a night, that should do it. But if you just had to go and spend a short period of time, once you're released, you wouldn't want to go back. I mean, doesn't that sound safe? like you? That's not a place that you just want to go check into, right? Okay. Okay. Well. 
Either way, you know what? I'm going to forego that to try to find out. I would rather go to a five-star hotel. That's more my style. But the point that I'm making is, notice what the scripture is telling him about the deceiver. Even after he is locked up for a thousand years. Most of us can't even think about a hundred. Most of us are working hard to live to be 120. Can you imagine a thousand years? Well, if this is going to be what's happening with the enemy, where he's locked up for a thousand years, and as soon as he gets out, he's going to go out and do the same thing again, deceive? I mean, really? What is the scripture telling us? It's making it so clear that he's a liar, that he's a deceiver, that we don't need to listen to him. And we're told that any thought, idea, or suggestion that comes to mind that's not grounded in the word of God, it is to be rejected, deleted. Don't listen to it. Don't receive it. Just like if you have what's considered a nightmare. One of the things I used to tell my children, if you wake up, you know, especially when they're small, they come run to, into your room, you know, to tell you this horrible nightmare. And I, would, I taught them early on to reject it. Do not receive it. It does not line up with the word of God. So therefore, it is not real. I taught them that starting at about three, as soon as they could really clearly speak that, because I never wanted it to rent up space in their mind. Because again, any thought, idea, and suggestion that comes into your mind can truly, truly affect you. Just like, oh, this could go on, and I'm going to try not to do it. But just like when I never taught my children about Santa Claus, because I never wanted to lie to them to make them believe that Santa Claus was bringing them these gifts that we were working so hard to provide for. And that was even before I was a Christian. I was not going to lie to them and tell them that. But I also respected them enough not to lie to them. You know, I never made it sound like Santa couldn't be, meaning I let them know Santa is a character that people have for Christmas, so don't go and tell your little friends in school because some of them might be heartbroken because they think this man is bringing them something. So just understand that you have knowledge that they don't have so don't burst their bubble but I'm telling you the truth Santa is a character just like the little reindeer okay they are not having some sled come and at the time we didn't have a fireplace in our house so I just made it real to them where is he coming I mean let's just but see I never lied to them which I'm so grateful for because then when I told them about Jesus they could believe me because I never tricked them with all of these silly little things to make them think that this is fun. It's not fun. You're lying to them. So I never, I never got into that. But here's the thing. The same way that you can lie to your children, people can get information to you that are lies and you may not even realize it. I'll give you case in point. Say, for instance, you are having a challenge in your marriage, okay? And you get on the phone with a friend, huh? Your friend is Jesus. That's where you need to go. But a lot of people don't. They're going to call, you know, I'm going to call my friend Susie Mae. She's going to help me. And Susie Mae starts telling you everything about her no good husband and all the things he does wrong. And I mean, she can tell a story like none other. And you were a little upset with maybe one thing your husband did, but after you listen to Susie Mae, you start going, you know, he kind of does that too. And you know, and the one little thing you had that was about this big, after you finish with Susie Mae, it's a yard long of all the things that he's doing wrong that you don't like. Then you hang up with Susie Mae. Now Susie Mae didn't mean any harm, by the way. She was 
just telling you her story of what she thought. But did her story line up with the word? Do you take the time to say, wait a minute, Susie May is saying this, this, and this, but is this lining up with what the word of God says? No, it's not. So I can't get caught up with what Susie May is saying. But here's the point I'm trying to make to you. You may not realize that you just listening to what it is that she's saying, she's giving you what? Thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. No, she doesn't have a banner across her face that says, I am the enemy giving you these thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. But don't be mistaken. Don't ever think that the enemy cannot use people to get the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions to you. Why did you call Susie May instead of going into the throne room and talking to your father? Where did that thought, idea, and suggestion come from? We can't be so carefree that we're not paying attention. We have got to pay attention. Because Susie May, she probably didn't mean any harm at all. She was just telling you all of her negativity. But that's not what we're supposed to do. As a matter of fact, in Philippians 4, 8, it tells us that we're supposed to think on things that are good. Think on things that are lovely. Think on things that are excellent, of good report. That's what we're supposed to be thinking about. So if you have this little challenge with your husband or your whomever, it could be your sister, it could be your best friend, it could be somebody in your Christian family, Go into the throne room and talk to the one who created them. You don't think he can work it out for you? Anyway, that's just something to think about. That's <laughs> just something to think about. So the beautiful thing about all of this is that we control whether we are victim or victorious. We control it. This is not a team sport. So you don't have to be concerned about somebody else pulling you down or somebody else, you know, allowing you to be victorious. This is all on you. If I win in something, it's my fault. Okay? And if I lose, it's also my fault. And I have to take responsibility for either one of them. And so do you. I mean, you know, we can candy coat it and make it sound better than that, but that's really exactly how it is. So, in other words, someone else can't mess you up and you can't mess somebody else up. Each and every one of us is an individual and we are responsible. We can't blame, and this is another thing where people start blaming, well, you know, I grew up and I didn't have a father in the home. Okay, well, you're grown now. Okay, so it's not like you can go back and repeat it. Or, you know, they tell you, well, you know, my mom, you know, she just wasn't the best mom and she got strung out on drugs. Okay, praise the Lord. Hopefully you can help her now. But it is not an excuse. It doesn't matter. Meaning I remember my mother transitioned and went to be with the Lord when I was 15 years old. And she had been very ill from the time I was six years old because a drunk driver hit her and she was in and out of the hospital more than she was home. So some things I didn't really know how to do well. Meaning, <laughs> she taught me some of the most bizarre things though. Like I know how to serve high tea. This I think when I look back on it is kind of funny. That here I am at nine years old and I'm being instructed how to properly serve high tea. But now ask me how to make a pot roast. I don't even know what you're talking about because, you know, basic things that you kind of need, I didn't know those things. But I guess she knew who I was as a person because when I got married, I had a choice to make. I was like, I can't feed my husband like SpaghettiOs or something. I mean, we got to figure out some food and high tea is not going to make it. Okay. So I remember going to, well, I guess they still have bookstores, but they used to have bookstores a lot then. And I got a book, a cookbook from Pillsbury. 
I still have it. You should see it. It's hysterical. But anyway, it was how to make a good meal in an hour because I was also working, so I didn't want to come home and have to make something for five hours. So I taught myself how to cook. And I enjoy cooking now. I think it's wonderful. It's a lot of fun. But the point was, I could have been like a lot of ladies are. Well, my mother passed away. I really didn't learn how to cook. And, you know, I don't really know how to do it. And all I know how to do is make reservations. And I don't know. That's a bunch of... No. You figure out what you need to do and get it done. There is no excuse. You decide whether you're going to be a victim or whether you're going to be victorious. And all I can say is if you see my husband and you see my children, I don't think any of you will think none of them are fed well, very well. So the point being is I've learned how to cook. So I'm just saying we have to decide what it is that we are going to do. It is just that simple. So in looking at Revelation 21 through 3, which we have read, 20, 20, 20, verses 1 through 3, we can see unequivocally without a question, okay, exactly what the story is with the enemy and exactly what he's going to do once that millennial time is up. He's going to still deceive the whole world because that's all he knows. That's all that he's about. And if he can plant anything in your mind and get you to confess and act on it, he'll have you right where he wants you to be, which is why we have to do what? We have to watch our mouths because your words create your entire world. Anything that you want in this world, I promise you, based upon the word of God, it's in your mouth. And you just have to watch what it is that you say. So the question arises, what would the devil do when he's loosed after the thousand years? Well, we already just read it. That, oh my, that he wants to keep anybody that he comes in contact with. His whole purpose is to deceive him and that's what he's going to do. But here's the thing. And this is what we have to think about. He's going to come against you where? In the arena of your mind. That's all that he can do. And you are going to think it's something that you thought up. That's what's really key. It's almost like he's one of those people, um, a ventriloquist, you know, that has a little dummy. And you think the dummy is doing the talking, but it's actually the guy. But he's sitting there and you don't even see his mouth moving. But he's getting the little dummy to move. He's really like a ventriloquist. Well, that's really kind of like it is with us. We're thinking that we've got it all together, but he's feeding us these thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. We then, like that little dummy, start going and speaking on it. And then we're wondering why things are happening in our lives the way that they are. But that's really what we're doing. I mean, it sounds funny, but it's true. And it's sad because a lot of people do not have God's best in their life because that's exactly what they're doing. Okay, this I want to hurry up and rush to because this went back quick. Anyway, turn with me to Ephesians. This is really, really key. Ephesians 6. And we're going to look at verses 14 through 17. Ephesians 6, 14 through 17. Are you there? Okay, great. I'm going to share it out of the Amplified. And it says, So stand firm and hold your ground, having tightened the white wide band of truth, which the qualifier is personal integrity, moral courage, around your waist, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, an upright heart, and having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace in preparation to face the enemy with firm-footed stability and the readiness produced by the good news. Above all, lift up 
the protective shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Now in verse 16 where it says that you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. How many things are left out of all? That means no matter what, I don't give a care how horrific it sounds, it says here that the shield of faith, with it you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. All of them. Notice in these verses that we just read, if you look at verse 14, where it says, and if you look at it out of the King James, it says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's telling us what to do, but it's not telling us why. Have you noticed it's not saying why in those verses? Even if we read it in the message, because the message breaks it down even more. And I'll read that really quickly. It says, be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over but the shouting, you're still on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, Faith and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Okay, still in that, it's not telling us why we need to do all of this in 14 and 15. It's really not. But notice what it says in verse 16. This is key. It says in the New King James, above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The words above all give the distinct implication that what is being stated in that verse may be far more important than what's stated in verses 14 and 15. Because he said above all, taking the shield of faith which you will, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now likewise, when you look at verse 17, he doesn't tell us why we should take the helmet of salvation except in reference to what? To faith. He said above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The key here is the shield of faith. And when we come back, because I had it all planned so nice and tied up in a bow, about how to show you how that shield of faith is like a master key. But I can't do it tonight. I'll have to do it next time. Wow. I really wanted to get to that part, too, because it's so good. But anyway, we'll do it next time. So every head bowed. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. 
If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.